Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We read that scripture and we take it in the context that somehow meek equals weak. Can I tell you something, church? Meek does not equal weak. Those words are not the same. So maybe you have an understanding of that word that says, well, I know that. I know it doesn't mean weakness. It just means gentle. And that is an understanding of that word. It definitely does mean gentle, but that is a very condensed, shortened, abbreviated understanding of the word meek that leaves us without the full weight of the word. I don't want a light word. I want a weighty word. Some of you need to get a heavy revy from time to time. Meek. The definition according to the Greek word there is demonstrating power without undue harshness. Demonstrating power without undue harshness. Let me put it to you another way that Jordan Peterson said it this way. It's knowing how to use a sword and choosing not to. It is not weakness. It's the ability to use the sword and make a choice not to. To be able to pull your sword out and win the battle, but choose to sheath your sword. Put it the way he put it. He said this. He says, our young men need to understand that they are told to sit down, shut up, and don't push back. And the reality is, is the way he said it was, our young men need to learn how to be monsters and then learn how to control it. That the heart of David was a man that they sang songs about that said David killed his 10,000s. This was a warrior who chose to spend his time in church instead. A man of war that could win almost any battle, fight any foe, had no fear of walking into giants, but said, I long to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He would rather be in church than the battlefield. He was capable of his sword. He chose to sheath it. That's what meek looks like. In fact, there's kind of a demonstration in the Greek culture. Uh, a lot of times this was used to describe that there's some references to, to uh, war horses and such, but a lot of times this word was used to describe uh, farm animals, in particular horses, was a big one when they would train wild horses. They would use this Greek word in their training of wild horses in order to bring them uh, into uh, submission, so to speak, or to uh, uh, break the wild horses. So if you've ever trained horses, they're bucking. They don't want you to ride them. They don't respond. They're not listening to your commands. And that horse has great power, but it has to be harnessed and brought into submission. So that Greek word for meek there is paras, paras. And that word paras is the word they would use for that horse has been parased. It has been trained or tamed, so to speak. Uh, and and the, the best horses weren't just used for farm or for riding. They were used for warfare. They were war horses, only the best war horses. In fact, in some of the Greek definitions or, or uh, ancient texts about training horses, they would use that word to say, to, to use it to explain how to break the horse and how to treat the horse. When you are riding that horse at full throttle, give it a light tug or a 
paras, a gentle tug, in order to cause the horse. Don't yank the horse. The horse will respond. A well-trained horse, a paras horse, will respond to a paras pull. And it will stop suddenly. In fact, a war horse sprinting at full speed with just a simple command would stop suddenly. Complete stop. It means they are so well trained. It does not mean they are weak. It means they are trained to hear the voice of their master. That they respond to the slightest nudge, left, right, forward, or stop. They respond to the voice of him who commands them, who has parased them, who has trained them and tamed them. The meek shall inherit the earth means those that carry the strength of the Lord, but the will of the Lord that listen to his voice and follow it, though they have great strength in them, they are submitted completely to the will of God. So the meek is not just a gentleness. In other places, it would describe it as this. Somebody who would handle uh, great turmoil or a, a volatile situation and handle it with the ability to keep their wits about them or to remain calm. So actually Herod, who was not a good king, is described as having that kind of disposition that when he was confronted with things, he would remain very calm and, and he would not raise his voice and he would be gentle spoken or para spoken. He would, he would be uh, uh, simple with his, his words. A lot of times I like to yell. It's kind of my personality. I get big and I preach loud and, and all of that. But there, I want you to understand that power doesn't come in volume. And when someone can say something, look, where is strength found? In the one that has to yell to get your attention, to scare you, or the one that looks at you and says, bad choice. I remember one time, even as a pastor, I'm going to tell you this story because it's applicable. I was a pastor and uh, I was helping coach my son's little league team, his baseball little league team, and the other... The main coach was our youth pastor, and something happened with, we had four coaches, okay, and so the main coach and the three assistants, and uh, one of the other coaches got frustrated with the main coach's, our youth pastor's son, and like pushed him in the line, come on, like that, and he went nuts. He went right over that assistant coach, why you push my son? And, and if you know baseball people, now they're kicking dirt on each other's feet, right? <laughs> Like, to, to the own assistant coach, usually just do that to the umpire, right? You get in each other, they bounce their chest. But they were doing it to each other, and they were getting into it. And I'm like, oh, like, this is, this is escalate. This is, I was like, guys, calm down, separate. Like, let's stop. And, the, and I looked over at the third coach. I was like, they, they're getting a little out of hand. Like, they're getting out of hand. And I'm thinking, he's like, yeah, we got to go stop this. And he looks at me and says, shut your mouth. And I'm like, what did I do? He was like, all of a sudden, he's like, I got to fight with someone too. And he just decided, I guess because he was, I was in tight with him, he decided that he should be angry at me. And this guy was like this 6'2", uh, former Marine. I knew he was a Marine, and, I'm, and, and he's in my face now, and he's getting aggressive with me. And all I'm thinking to myself is, news at 10, pastor gets in fight over a baseball game, is arrested. 
And I'm like, this is not going well at all. And now he's being very aggressive. I don't know if it like triggered a little bit there or whatever, but it was like, what? Like suddenly I was, I was the target of this. And I'm like, whoa, let's calm down. Like the, the kids are in the dugout crying. They're all in there crying. You remember this, Caleb? They're in there going, <laughs> they are not having fun. At ba- There's no crying in baseball except that day. They're crying because they're watching their coaches about to fist fight. And I'm watching these kids cry. And I'm like, look, we got to calm down because the kids, and this man gets over me and says, you talk too much. So I'm going to tell you how I responded, okay? It's a lot of years ago. Enough. I think I handled it well, but I responded. See, there's something in me. Um, fight, flight, or freeze. And I'll always choose to get out of something if I can get out of it. My desire is to walk away. By by no means am I walking away because I am afraid. Uh, See, weakness is fear. Walking away out of weakness means I'm walking away out of fear. And the problem with that is that mindset of being afraid of something will actually cause you to do uh, worse things in the situation. I'm going to be very plain here for you. Fear will cloud your thoughts. It will cloud your judgment and cause you to react because you're afraid something bad is going to happen to you. But when you have strength in you, when you are confident in who God has made you and you are unafraid of what's in front of you, you can calmly make rational decisions. Your thought processes are clear. In fact, I would say this, the most peaceful men are those that can do the most war. It's my ability to protect myself that allows me to walk without being scared of my surroundings. And it allows me to walk away from situations that are troublesome, not because I am afraid, but because I make a choice. That's meekness. And so he looked at me and said, you talk too much. And I looked at him and said, As long as I'm talking, you're safe. But you should hope that I don't stop talking because when I do, that means trouble. And I just sat silent. And he sat there for a minute and I just stood at him silently and stared at him with a small little smirk. And suddenly his disposition changed from tough guy to he knows something I don't know. I should probably walk away because he's not talking anymore. And he walked away and I stood there and I said, yeah. And I turned around and was like, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord. Good grief. Ah, Fight a Marine, going to be put in jail. This is a bad day. a true story. <laughs> hey, I had word. You almost got me in a fight, man. I didn't even do anything. <laughs> I'm a grown man. I'm a pastor. I'm about to fight over a baseball game for kids. But I learned something in that. Is that it was the strength in me to not be afraid of that moment that allowed me to de-escalate that moment. And in that moment, I was able to think through rationally and say, how do I calm this situation down? I knew I was in front of someone that only respond to strength. 
I was already reasoning with him. Hey, man, the kids are crying. Didn't matter. Something had just, he had decided, I got to take a side. We got to get in a fight. He had made a decision and rationale and and talking him down was never going to work. So I had to stand there in strength. When you've done all you can do to stand, what? Stand. Be unmovable, be unshakable. And so in that moment, because I was unafraid, because my mind was set in the right place, because I did not allow my emotions to take over, because I didn't get angry at him, I didn't get frustrated at him, I didn't get afraid in that moment, I wasn't paralyzed by fear, I was able to think rationally. And the renewing of our mind or the ability for our mind to think rationally will allow us to hear and move in God's will more readily. It'll allow us to be meek people who inherit the earth. I have the ability to be a war horse, but instead I choose to plow and sow and reap a harvest. Because I'm listening to the voice of my master to know when I need to turn left and when I need to stop. Demonstrating power without undue harshness. I didn't cuss at him. I didn't yell at him. I didn't threaten his life. I demonstrated power without harshness. That's what meek means. Are you learning something this morning, anybody? Am I talking to just myself this morning? I know this might not make sense of where we're going, but I want you to understand that I believe in this season right now that our mindsets are going to be vital to what we walk into as a church. I'm trying to get you into a place where your mindset releases the blessings of heaven over your life, where the mindset of God will keep the enemy from being able to spring a trap on you that takes you out of the season of fruitfulness God has called you to that your mindset will allow you to avoid the snake in the garden while you're picking the fruit God has given you. So renewing your mind is going to be important. And let me, let me tell you this. There was a study done in 1999, and it was a crazy study. What they did is they had a room full of people. They gave them papers with numbers on them, and they had to walk from one side of this hallway down a long hallway to the other side. When they got to the other side, they had to turn in their paper, and the task was given to them to memorize the numbers on the paper so they could remember them and then repeat them. So they read the numbers, they walked And then they had to repeat the number. And so the whole walk down this long hallway, they had to figure out how to remember uh, 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 this number. Now, what they did is that they gave uh, half the, the people in there numbers that were two digits to remember. And the other half, they gave them digits up to seven digits. So the length of a phone number to remember, to memorize and be able to repeat. And so when they were done with the exercise, they're like, hey, great, thank you for giving that. We're going to tally the results. While we tally the results, uh, we have some uh, fruit or cake over there that you can eat. And so they sent them to eat the fruit and cake while they tallied the results. What they did not tell them is the experiment was not on actual memorizing and if they could remember the numbers or not. It was on whether they chose the fruit or the cake. That was the experiment. And what they found was this, is that the people that had two numbers to memorize, about half of those people chose fruit and half of them chose cake. About 50% of the two numbers chose fruit or chose cake. Half of them made a good choice, half of them made a bad choice. But amongst the people who had had to memorize seven digits, Almost every single one of them, I think save one, chose cake. They bypassed the fruit and chose the cake. 
the ones that only had two digits to memorize, half of them made a good choice. And this is repeatable over and over again. And so what they realized in this study is that something called cognitive fatigue was a reality. That if they could cognitively fatigue you, in other words, fatigue your mental capacity in any given moment, your ability, your mental ability to make good positive choices over desires that were not healthy for you was greatly reduced. So the same people that would have thought through and said, ah, I mean, the cake looks good, but I really need to make some good choices, so I'm going to pick the fruit. Their ability to make good choices was impaired by cognitive fatigue. See, the enemy doesn't have to convince you of sin. He just has to make your mind tired. He just has to get you overthinking all the time. Oh. See, there, there are some people, a lot of times, if you're around me for a little bit, if you're an overthinker, you hear me say all the time, you're overthinking this. You're overthinking that. Calm down. Relax. Stop overthinking everything. Like I say that a lot to people. Why? Because cognitive fatigue is a real thing. And when you're in the middle of over, some of you know that you're like, you're, I'm an overprocessor. I'm trying to analyze what everything means. Stop it. You're, you're, you're wearing yourself out and me. And you don't just, uh, what happens is because you are so in that moment of overthinking, your cognitive fatigue sets in, your brain no longer has the ability uh, in that moment until your mind has rested, until you've been renewed. So when the Bible says to renew your mind, this is a weapon of our warfare. It's a skill set that we carry in order to get the enemy from tempting us and making poor decisions. That's why Jesus in the wilderness was so much more powerful because he had been going through a lot of fatigue. He'd been going through all the fatigue, and yet he resisted the temptation of the enemy. All right? Some of us can't resist the temptation of cake after memorizing a few numbers. What chance do you have against the enemy if that's the level of your cognitive fatigue? And so this is actually why they, uh, because of studies like this, this is actually why they set up grocery stores the way they set up grocery stores. They realize that when you walk into the grocery store, you are under cognitive ability to make good choices. So when you walk in, they have good smelling bread when you walk in one side or the other, or they have flowers and the vegetables are right there because you're gonna start with making good choices. If they put the junk food in front of you, you're gonna walk right by it and never return to it. So they put all the stuff that, uh, uh, that, uh, that you want right there and then they move everything around the store on you. So you have to see new products. There's a couple of reasons for why they do that because you get used to where things are and you don't see them anymore. And so they do that for a couple of reasons. But then they put the next thing you need, the milk, which is you, most people are going for staple things. There's a handful of staple things. Those staple things are never together in the store. They are always in different places. They make you have to trail and snake through the store to get to those couple of staple things. They know the main items bought and they place those through the store. So, and you are overwhelmed with choices. You are overwhelmed with choices. So what happens is you get done with an aisle with all these choices and the end cap is always something you shouldn't pick. And so you get to the end cap, your cognitive fatigue has set in and you grab and make a poor choice. And then when you're all done shopping and you're overwhelmed by all the choices and all the decisions and all the, did we get this and did we get that? You just had to memorize a number, seven digit number, and then you pick cake. 
So now you've wound through the store. You're over it. You're at Walmart, right? The only distraction from choices was their choices of clothing for that day. Don't act like y'all haven't seen one of those Walmart posts like the people of Walmart. You know, it's like, that was the poor choice right there. <laughs> wow. They in cognitive decline for sure. <laughs> so you get to the end and what's at the very end, the last thing that you have the opportunity to buy? Ice cream? What checkout counter are you at? Out of all that, Emily's just back there going, I want ice cream. I want ice cream. I want ice. That's what I heard. I, we're eating ice cream after church. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Right? Your cognitive gland is set in, and so you grab an ice. You grab it. Ah, now I'm saying it. God loves you. I love you. I'm going to get ice cream. Candy bars. There it is. Candy bars. Sodas and candy bar, the junkiest of the junk food, the worst of you is at the very end. And, you're, and the whole time you're like, I'm going to come in here. We're going to start roasting vegetables. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to do the right thing. And you're like, tomorrow. <laughs> you know why you're laughing? Because every one of you have done that. You're like, I've done that. I'm starting tomorrow. Tonight is the last big hoorah. Right? It's my bachelorette party tomorrow I'm married to healthy living okay that's it Reese's I'm gonna eat a whatchamacallit because that's not even a real name so no one can I don't have to tell anyone what'd you eat I don't know whatchamacallit I ain't something <laughs> <laughs> So your mind is in cognitive decline. And so what the enemy does is he's put us in a society, in a culture where we are busy. Enemy doesn't need to get you to want to sin. He just got to keep you busy enough that you have no ability to resist it. He's tearing down your defenses. The Bible makes it very clear that the renewing of our mind is important. In Romans 12, 2, it says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Oh, you get it? The pattern of this world. Going through the motions this world has set for us, going through the aisles the world has set for us, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some of us are in need of renewing our mind to remove the cognitive fatigue on our mind. Then, that's what it says, after your mind has been renewed, you've resisted the pattern of this world, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When your mind is renewed, you are able to test what his will is. When your mind is unrenewed, when it's in fatigue, when it's overwhelmed, when it's overloaded, when it's unrested, you will not be able to test what his will is. You lose the ability. You might have a desire to follow his will, but now you have lost the ability to test it. I heard it. I think that was him. Test every spirit. Okay, we got to test it. How do I test it? I don't know because my mind ain't working right right now. When your mind is not working right, you will be unable to test his will. You'll be able to, unable to walk in his will. And so a lot of us are thinking, oh man, what is wrong with me? I do the things that I desire not to do and the things that I ought to do, I don't do. And maybe some of you, it has to do with the idea that you've never grabbed hold of renewing your mind. 
one of the things that I tell people is if they're struggling, if they're going through a, a season of being tempted, uh, I ask them, what time do you go to bed? What's your sleep look like? It's one of the very first things I ask before I get into the spiritual stuff. What does your sleep pattern look like? Oh, I stay up to the midnight hours. When is it you eat all that food that you know during the day you said no to and now you are just gorging yourself at, at what? Midnight. The later you stay up, now all of a sudden all the defenses come down. When you are tired, when you are mentally fatigued, you can no longer make good choices. If you are not well rested, your mind is not rested. It is not able to renew and you are failing and falling for the trap of the enemy because you are simply in the fog of your own mind. And so before we get into the spiritual attack of the enemy, you're already at standing target. You can't test the will of God. And so I tell people right away, eat right, sleep. If you do those two things, you've already won half the battle of renewing your mind besides the spiritual. Con we'll get into the spiritual stuff, but that right there will stop you from falling into temptation. I don't know why I've just been agitated and I'm in a bad mood and I'm not meek at all. You think everyone needs to know how strong you are. You think everyone needs to know how powerful you are. You think everyone needs to know that they are one second away from your anger and your wrath. I don't know why I can't just control my temper, my anger, my frustration. You need to renew your mind to become the meek person that shall inherit the earth. Bullying doesn't get you territory. It makes you a warlord, but it does not build a nation. There is no nation on earth that has ever been sustained by bullying. In fact, it's always the bullying that built it and the bullying that tear it down. There is only so long that good people will put up with being bullied, with being pushed around and being mistreated. Eventually, they will all push back against it, and it will, the very thing that built it will be its undoing. So you cannot win that way. A meek person is a person who can exhibit strength while still being kind. And so your mindset, where your mind is, will determine where your future will be. Isaiah 26.3 says this, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Someone say, trust in you. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. We need to have our minds be steadfast, not wavering to and fro, not being double-minded. And why? Because they trust in you. So the first key to renewing your mind is to trust in God. When you put your trust in God, you have no fear of man. So you have no concern for worldly matters. I trust my God. I'm not afraid of that man. Lord, I trust you. This is a dangerous situation. First thing I have to pray when I go to Pakistan, Lord, I trust you. When I go to a third world nation where it's dangerous to Christianity, Lord, I trust you. I trust your plan for me going. I am not afraid of what will happen. I have no fear of martyrdom. None. In fact, I get kind of mad when they don't persecute me more. It's just a reality. When I get over there, there's a grace that comes on me where the idea that I have pushed and shared the gospel to a point that someone in the, there wants to kill me for my faith um, encourages me. And I can't make sense of that to you if you've never been. Uh, you're sitting there. I can't explain to you 
I can't explain to a blind man what a rainbow looks like. I just can't. So if you've never been, I couldn't possibly explain that to you, what it feels like to be encouraged that someone wants to take your life for the sake of the gospel. And in that moment where God meets me in that place because I put all of my trust in him. Now, does that mean I'm gonna walk out of there alive? No, it does not. My trust is not on whether I live or die. My trust is in him regardless of whether I live or die. The disciples trusted in him when he said, let me show you all you must suffer for my namesake. He very much informed them, you will die for this. In fact, I would say it this way. I've said it many times. I believe that many of the disciples wanted to die for this. Paul says it out in the open. He's like, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. But if I stay, it's only for your sake that I might raise you up. So he made a decision to be willing to stay on earth and not be martyred, not go home to be with Jesus. He longed to be with Jesus so that he could teach more of you about the faith, more of the people he was surrounded by about the faith. And so that was his only reason for holding on to this place. He trusted in God, not his own life. Psalms 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still is another key to renewing your mind. You must rest. You have to trust in him. You have to rest in him. Ephesians 4, 23 through 25 says this. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So how do we renew our minds? Is that we allow the Spirit to renew our minds. We don't try to renew our minds by ourselves. The One of the keys that we have to avoid cognitive fatigue, spiritual cognitive fatigue in particular, is that we allow the Holy Spirit to be the one that renews our minds. A lot of times we try to self-talk. We, we've been raised in a culture that America is the greatest nation on earth, and I'm not disputing that, but that we are the greatest people on earth. We are capable of anything we set our mind to. I'm not disputing that but we have believed that we are the only ones that can help ourselves. We have been raised in a culture that says, I can do anything. I don't need any help. I don't need a, I don't need a community. I don't need a, 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 a tribe, a family. I don't need that. I can do it myself. And when we can't do it ourselves, we are an inventing nation. We make a tool so that we can do it ourselves. We don't need 20 people to help us dig a ditch. We can get a piece of equipment to dig a ditch. And all we got to do is drive the equipment. We believe that our own resources will bail us out of any situation. So we invent something. And so what we do is we isolate ourselves and we don't believe that anybody else. We are the most self-helped nation on earth and we are the most in need of help ever. We are the most miserable nation on earth. Did you know that? You know, consistently, third world nations rank higher when they ask people if they're happy than we do. Self-help is not helping. 
So we have to allow the Spirit of God to renew our thoughts. That's why the Holy Spirit is so necessary and a partnership and intimacy with the Holy Spirit becomes so necessary because without the Holy Spirit and our partnership, we can never allow Him to renew our minds. If the Holy Spirit is not alive, active, and moving and speaking today, our minds are subject to spiritual cognitive uh, decline, which will leave us in a bitter place in the end of our lives. I talked about it last week that we, that the reason to get more on the week before, the reason that we, uh, or, or that we can get more anointing, that when we receive more anointing, in particular, I gave us the scripture to receive more anointing and that it was the oil of joy that was poured out on us. The oil of joy is a marker of the anointing of God on your life. If someone says you are anointed, but you got a bad attitude, I don't see it. The power of God should be coupled with the joy of the Lord. And if you have power and no joy, I don't believe that's a, a, a real anointing. That is a corrupted anointing. And your oil has gone rancid. Show me someone who has joy and I'll show you an authentic anointing. Pastor Ren, why are you always laughing and making jokes while you're praying for people? Because I got joy and I don't know how to contain it and be mature about it, Okay. I said I have joy. I didn't say I had maturity. <laughs> I'm working on it, okay? Jesus picked teenagers. Somebody should say amen to that. You're like, no, no, we are dignified. Hmm. If you are that dignified, I don't know why you are here at this church. <laughs> I got spiritual maturity. So we allow the Holy Spirit to bring the joy of the Lord as our strength in. And we carry his strength. And I know whose strength I carry. I can have joy because I carry the strength of God. The joy is strength. My bad attitude is not strength. My bullying attitude is not strength. The joy is a strength. That I can stand in front of you and say, and, and stand in front of you with a smile on my face and bring correction, Right? I could step on your toes and then laugh. <laughs> okay, that might be two different things, but. Right? And we're a church. I know I'm like, give me a pop. I think today is mostly positive, so I think we're in a good direction. As I understand it, Pastor Chas killed it last week. She's like, I don't think I ran anyone off of the church. I think we're okay, but I spanked them real good. And I'm like. She's like, yeah, I was telling her, I was like, she told me what she preached about. And I'm like, they're going to think that people are all out of alignment with me and they're being mean to me. Why'd you say that? Our church is really good. So she was preaching on something that not, had not yet happened yet. I just want you to know that real quick. I'm like, I need to give a disclaimer. No, she didn't take that opportunity to be like, why y'all being mean to the pastor? All bunch of uh, 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 opposition to him and misalignment and. What was this, uh, this uh, spirit of, oh gosh, I can't think right now. What was it? Offense, thank you. Everyone's all offended at pastor, and the leadership, and no, you guys are doing awesome. Give yourselves a hand. You're doing really, there you go. Yeah, you're doing really good. Just real proud of you, okay? But what's crazy about that is at the same time that Pastor Chas was preaching that message, we were literally at a church in Washington that was experiencing everything she preached. She preached the same message almost verbatim in some areas.
to what I had to do in a leadership meeting with that church and talk to them about the fact that they had allowed a spirit of offense come in and bring division and disunity into their church and it was tearing apart their church, literally into almost a church splitter. Probably it is. So I was in there to save a church from being split apart by a spirit of disunity and a spirit of division that had come in. And the Lord spoke to us and it was like, we'll, we'll tell you, we got there and we tried to prophesy the first night and every one of us felt the same way. It was like swimming through peanut butter. It was difficult. It was hard. It, everything was hard and it took us three days to break through and get through the, to the breakthrough. And thank God we did and we saw some beautiful things happen and God moved very powerfully. But we had to, man, we had to focus Mental fatigue was a thing real quick. Everything was draining and hard and thought, oh God. And so it was mentally fatiguing, which made it harder to hear what God was doing. So I'm telling you, this is a true word from, of what God is saying. Pastor Chas preached a word to keep you from that place, not because we are in that place. It's a warning of what was happening there, not to ever happen here. That it was a word from the Lord to say, don't allow this to creep in for a moment. Don't allow it to even be in your thought process. If you are offended, it means your mind has already been compromised. If you are offended, it means that you are still alive and need to die to yourself a little bit more. Are there offensive things? Yes. Should you walk in offense? No. There is a difference between that's offensive and I'm offended. One is a thought process. The other one's, one's an action. The other one's a thought process. I choose whether I am offended or not. One has to do with renewing your mind. No, I choose not to believe that my brother is against me. I choose not to believe that my pastor is against me. I choose not to walk in a wrong mindset that will lead me into a place of destruction. I choose to let the Holy Spirit renew my thoughts and my attitudes and put on a new nature created to be like God. Not my old nature that uses offense to isolate myself and be slim and easy pickings. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. Someone say, take captive every thought. And make it obedient to Christ. Meek. You can say that. Make it obedient to Christ to make it meet. We take the thoughts captive. We take the enemy captive and we make obedient to Christ. When we align our thoughts to the obedience of Christ, we tame it. We train it. And we make it obedient to the leanings of Christ. We take our thoughts captive and we renew our minds. To actively engage in the process of uh, capturing and evaluating our thoughts, bringing them into obedience to his truth. Psalms 119.11 says it this way. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we take our minds captive. We renew our minds by having the word of God not just in our minds, but in our hearts. When the word of God is hidden in our hearts, it will renew our minds. If the word of God is just stored in your mind, you cannot pull on it when you are in cognitive fatigue. If the word of God is just memorization of scripture to you, 
It's just a knowledge. We, we have this little Bible trivia game. And we do these little cards and we see how much Bible trivia. And I love it. It's a lot of fun. But if the word of God is nothing more than a trivia answer to me, then it will stay in my mind. And because it is not in my heart, I will not be able to pull on it in the moment where my mind is compromised, in a moment where my thoughts are compromised, in a moment where I'm having trouble thinking rationally through and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to me and hear God. There is something that is inside of me. When I can't hear him, his word is so in my heart. It's so planted, it's so rooted, it's so deep that it is hidden. Not hidden as in covered, but deep. It's so deep inside me, planted so deep inside me that it is not surface level to be seen that when I am in a moment where my mind can't process, the heart of God comes dwelling up and swelling up inside of me and pouring out of me that my mind may not know what is going on, but my heart begins to lead the way. I said rest that we rest in him, and the way we do that is through Sabbath. It's the fourth commandment out of 10. God thought they were so good at following 10 commandments, he gave them 600 more. Why do you think they got 600 more? Because they couldn't follow the 10. A lack of obedience will lead to more boundaries set on your life. Parents, parents, your kid starts acting up. You start setting more parameters on them, not less. You start making it kind of, you, you start closing the box. When they start obeying the, the parameters you set, you start giving them a little more leeway, right? They're trustworthy what I give. So I will make them a master of much. I've given them a little and they're doing well with that. I'll trust them a little bit more. But when you begin to break the 10, you get 600 piled on you. That's how it happened. When you can't even follow 10. The Sabbath is the fourth commandment of God. We have not done away with those commandments. You can't, people will argue this point about the law versus not the law. We're not under the law. We're obeyed. Well, I can tell you this for sure. I have read the other nine commandments a couple of times, okay? And I can't find anything that says any of those other nine commandments are no longer applicable. So you're telling me only one went away. Show that to me in scripture. If the nine are in force, so is the tenth. So the Sabbath is meant to be honored. What does it say? Keep it holy. That's what the Sabbath says. Honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. Let me make this distinction. Jesus was clear. The Sabbath was for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given to you as a gift to help you, which is why it wouldn't make sense for it to be removed. If it was given to you to be an aid to you, then it would never be taken from you. So the Sabbath is still in, intact. What does it mean to keep it holy? What did the word holy mean? Set apart. To keep it set apart. To separate it from your week. The Sabbath should look distinctively different than the rest of your week. God said, he never said what day. It's not in the scriptures anywhere. He just said, man should labor for six days and on the seventh day rest. And Paul makes a distinction, doesn't matter which one. But on a seventh day we rest. And it means not just to rest. Oh, that means I'm going to sleep in. You didn't let me sleep in because church start too early. You need to start starting at noon, pastor. I was going to come to church, but I realized I really need to rest on the Sabbath. 
It's not to rest. It's to rest in him. I want you to understand what the first Sabbath was. See, because this is where the religiosity comes into it, is when we don't understand what the Sabbath purpose was. All we have to do to determine what Sabbath is and what its intent is, is go back to the first one, and we can probably figure out what it was for. It says that God worked really hard, and then on the seventh day rested. Do you think that God was fatigued, church? Do you think he was tired and needed to regenerate somehow? No. He was not out of breath because he breathed into Adam. I need to take a little breather for a minute here. Woo! Get that wind back. He saw man. And he says, I have made the perfect thing. And instead of making anything else, I'm going to stop and spend time with man. Why did man rest? Because he had labored really hard? What did Adam do on the first day? Nothing. He started out on vacation. Right? Just like every baby, pop out, do nothing. Do nothing. Feed me. God started man out in rest. But the rest looked like something. It was resting in him. It was relationship. It was an exchange of time spent with God. So the Sabbath, keep it apart, means to take time, to not labor like he did, and to rest in him. And when we rest in him, it renews our strength. There is something about resting in his presence that takes our mind off of everything else, that allows our minds to renew. Because many of you know, you could be sitting down doing nothing, but you are, you are still thinking about everything. Come on, I got some of those in the room. You're just sitting there real quiet, but you are thinking of 5,000 things, and you, you have worked harder by the end of the day sitting there because you had nothing to distract your mind. Is there anyone in the room that does that? You gotta find something to distract your mind, otherwise it will work you over. You're laying there and they're like, what are you doing? Nothing. What are you thinking about? Everything. <laughs> because there are no more distractions, your mind can get busy thinking. So when we rest in him, when we come to church, when we gather together as believers and we set our mind on things above and not on things below, when we position him in our mindset and we put our eyes on Jesus and we focus completely on him, all the world slips away and our minds actually have an opportunity to rest and renew. It's not that complicated to renew your mind. Get your thoughts on Jesus and your mind will renew. Because the Bible says that he is our Sabbath. So when our thoughts are on him, when our eyes are on him, Sabbath comes into us. Rest comes into us. Isaiah 40, uh, let me, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So it tells us how, what to dwell on and how to dwell on the right things that will renew our mind. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Hope brings renewal. They will soar with wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. See, we, we talked that part. They will, we will soar on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. But the first part is how you get to that. But those that hope in the Lord. Someone say hope in the Lord. 
That's how you renew your strength. We're in a renewal process right now. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Someone say, trust in you. Perfect peace and steadfastness comes from trusting in God. So when our trust is in Him, our rest is in Him, our hope is in Him, and His Word is in us, then our minds can be renewed. Then we can be renewed. So we trust in Him. We rest in him. I hope you're catching this. We hope in him. And his word is in us. How interesting the last one is in us versus in him. Probably my life verse, John 17, 21. That they all may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, so also may they be one in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. The power of God is in this, that we should be in him and him in us, that we should have the trust of the Lord in us, the rest of the Lord in us, the hope of the Lord in us, and his word in us, that we should be in him and him in us, that we should be so unified together in the Lord that rest and strength and peace become a weapon that allow us to advance the gospel of Jesus through the whole earth and see the culture of God sweep over the culture of man. There's breakthrough available when you're in him. There's breakthrough available when you're in him. And I'm closing right now. I'm bringing this to a close. Trust in him. Rest in him. Hope in him. See, hope is a very powerful tool. This morning when I was meeting with the leadership team, I said, what do you guys feel like for today? And they literally said these points. I feel like we need to trust in him. Just trust him. And I said, Lord, you're going to do all the stuff today. I trust you. I trust you. You're going to do all the things. We need to renew our minds because what we are about to walk into, the enemy wants to cloud us. He's put us in a culture that is go, 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 thought, thought, thought. fast-paced culture that never rests, never slows down, never processes, never enjoys anything. We chug the coffee so we can get to the next thing. You, you know, in other countries, they think we're crazy that we eat food in the car, even that we have drink holders in the car. Do you know that? The idea that we take drinks in the car, they're like, you're mad. Just pull over. Spend a few minutes, have a drink. Talk to your friend. Talk to your family. You don't drink in the car. You're thirsty, pull over, have a drink, take five minutes. Like, their culture is to stop. 
And we have such a mindset of go busy. And there's nothing wrong with being productive, right? It's in us to be fruitful and multiply. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying, but if we don't take the time to renew our thought processes, the enemy can creep in there in that moment of fatigue, in that moment of mental fatigue. Some of you have been wondering, like, I don't know why I just can't overcome that. I don't know why I can't seem to beat that. Because you're not allowing God to renew your mind. You're not resting. You're not eating right. You're not allowing God to renew your mind. You're not putting your trust and your hope in him. You're not listening to the Holy Spirit. And you have not become meek. So I see powerful people all the time, and they are anything but meek. They are arrogant. They're prideful. They're bitter. They are not meek. And I used to say this all the time, like my friend Chris Reed, he's so meek. He's so gentle and mild. And I tried the meek thing one time. It didn't work well for me, so I gave it up. I'm ornery. I'm loud. Like that's my personality. But I've recognized that meekness is not that thing. That meekness is my ability to have strength in me, yet choose to be kind in that strength. To choose to exhibit my strength in that moment. And here, here's the truth. Is that I'm loud when I'm preaching to you guys. I'm loud when I'm having fun. But when there's a problem, I usually am soft-spoken. I will get quieter in that moment. I bring calm to the storm. That's what meekness is. The strength to speak to the loud storm and cause it to quiet. So I don't need to be loud to bring the power of the Holy Spirit. I get loud because I get excited. I believe that some of you need a renewal of your mind and to allow the rest of God just to sweep over you. So just while you're seated there for a moment, we're just going to take a second and we're going to allow the, I'm going to pray for you. And I just want the rest of God to come over you. Whether you're in the room or on the Zoom right now, I just want you to take a moment right now and just let the peace of God that surpasses all understanding be a guard over you and sweep over you. The shalom of God that comes in the Sabbath of God. This is why community and church is so important because we rest in him. If you are not resting in him, you are missing the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a treasure given to you. When you skip church, you don't rest well. It does not aid your life because you are not resting in him. I was reading my Bible all day. There is something about gathering in the culture of God that allows the culture of the world to dissipate. As you and I are one, so let them also be one. It's really hard to be one when you're not even coming together. Whew. That's a word. Father, let your peace come right now. Lord, let the Spirit come over them right now. Holy Spirit, renew their minds right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just right now, I speak the shalom of God into every mindset right now, into every mindset. And I'm hearing different mindsets right now. Lord, like machine gun fire, just going off in their brains loud and traumatizing. Lord, I quiet every loud mind right now in the name of Jesus. And I take captive 
every enemy that would come against their thought patterns right now in the name of Jesus. And I speak life and life more abundantly. For those that walked in this room in the beginning, I said there is a spirit in this room trying to taint your thoughts. And we reject that is meant to keep you from a renewed mind. Spirit of depression, a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of fear, a spirit of suicide, meant to keep your mind in bondage and keep it from being renewed. I break the spirit of insecurity off of you right now. The busy mind that overthinks how everyone feels about you and thinks about you, I break that off right now in the name of Jesus. I break off the mindset of self-identification. I break off the mindset that says everything is about me and how I am either broken or excellent. And right now in the name of Jesus, I give you permission to just rest in his presence. Father, we choose to trust you. Right now, I want you to make the choice. Lord, I trust in you. And my hope is in you. That when hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope, if my mind is out of hope, then my heart will grow sick. And the place that the word is engraved in me, hidden in me, becomes sick. It's a detriment to my ability to function and bring the word out of a sick heart. So I choose to have a hopeful mindset focused on you. My hope is in you so my heart can be healthy and the word of God can reside in me healthy. And right now, Lord, I just declare for every hope deferred heart that you begin to bring healing into their heart right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, bring healing into their heart. Hope into their heart. Where there is hopeful, hopelessness, I speak hopefulness. Where those have allowed joy to be robbed from them, I speak life back into them. Where they've allowed the enemy to plunder their joy. Right now in the name of Jesus, I speak a different mindset, a renewed mindset. I hear God just say, some of you need a rewiring in your brain. You have made a decision that everyone is against you. Some of you, other ones have made a decision that no one is for you. Or that you're not for them. That you don't actually care. And you have isolated yourself and made yourself bat crazy in your attitude. You are constantly tossed to and fro like waving wheat because your mind is always set against itself. And so your thoughts are waving around because you're not truly for, you're not truly renewed, and you allow your mind to run rampant. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I speak to those and I say double-mindedness be gone in the name of Jesus. Double-mindedness be gone in the name of Jesus. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom. Shalom.